Welcome to Satsang. Good morning, Bishrant. Good morning. Could you please speak about dropping anger and blame? Okay. So anger seems to be acceptable in society, um, basically because we're a very victim-orientated uh, bunch of people. We like to feel we have the right to direct anger at other human beings or situations or even at ourselves. But what people aren't really looking at when they do that is it's actually a form of violence. When we direct the energy form of anger at anything, we're directing violence to that. And the only way we can be angry is to be a victim of something, to be in blame of something. Now, when we're blaming someone, we're not taking responsibility for our own feelings. There's a level of immaturity there. But this is quite common. This is what people do but it does take you directly to lower consciousness every time you go to blame, particularly if you get involved in anger. The reason for this is if you're in blame, you're dreaming, you're projecting some kind of dream. You're not in high consciousness, you're locked in lower consciousness in a drama inside your mind that's not even real. And in this drama, you've made yourself out to be a victim of circumstance, another person, or yourself. You're blaming something. You're blaming someone. We do not have to blame. We can accept life as it is. We can see this is how life is, rather than right, wrong, good, or bad. But people choose to put their hands up and volunteer to be victims. Now, this is done pretty unconsciously, but still, it's what happens. The moment we go to blame, we are supplying the fuel for anger. And unlike sadness or grief, uh, anger is not a real emotion as such, it's a defense system that stops us from feeling disempowered, stops us from feeling wounding, stops us from feeling helplessness and hopelessness. Because when we get angry, we feel empowered. It defends us from feeling. It stops us from feeling our wounding. And so once again, we're really dealing with something that's in the way of higher consciousness, another obstacle that's in the way. As long as you're getting angry and supporting anger, you are supporting lower consciousness. And I don't care what anyone says, you're being violent, either with yourself, with another person or with a situation. This is not higher consciousness. This is lower consciousness. And it's up to you. You create the world you live in by the way you think and by your actions. And I think that anger would have to be probably the most destructive thing on the planet. 
It doesn't build bridges, it burns them between people. It destroys relationships. It has people do other forms of violence as well. People get angry and then they get physically violent. There is no real saving grace to anger, except it empowers you. It empowers you to, and it stops you from feeling your wounding. That may be very well for some people, but if you're into higher consciousness, that's definitely the wrong direction. A mind that stays equanimous, a mind that doesn't get locked in lower consciousness because of some dream about being hard done by is best. So I got involved with uh, having a look at anger when I was quite young, when I was a teenager, because I was a very angry young man. I'd spent time in a Roman Catholic boarding school, institutionalized uh, with the bullies and the Roman Catholic brothers and the priests. And in my time, it was brutal. And I came out of that institution very angry. And I could see that it was damaging. It was damaging to all my relationships. It was damaging to everything. So I started watching my mind. I wanted to see how anger worked. I could see that someone or something would be said or someone would do something, something would touch. I saw there was a reaction to the touch and the reaction was blame. And as soon as blame occurred, anger, bang, like lightning. And I realized I could slow this down. If I just kept witnessing it, I could stay with the touch rather than go to the reaction, which was blame. I could start owning that I make myself feel that they may have done something, but I made myself feel. And I, in owning that, blame disappeared because I was taking full responsibility for my own feelings. I started to see that anger was a kind of thing that's going to destroy everything in your life if you let it, if you give it permission to run. And so it was one of the things that in my early years, I changed. And I changed it basically by looking at victim-orientated thinking. If we're not victims of something or someone or ourselves, we can't be angry. We have to be a victim to be angry. And my understanding is very clear about victim orientation. You have to volunteer to be a victim. Bad stuff can happen. People can let you down. They can betray you. They can lie to you. They can do all sorts of things to you. But you're the one that turns yourself into a victim of it. It is just what is. It's existence doing its thing. Your choice. So there's a certain level of uh, power that we have in this if we're willing to become conscious enough of the process and allay the reaction of blame, which ends up in anger. It's up to you. You're going to create your reality. I don't think anyone can stand up and say that anger has served them well. If anything, you'd have to say the opposite. How much has it destroyed? <laughs> has it ever taken you to higher consciousness? That's just a no-no because no dream can take you to higher consciousness. Witness your mind. See how it all works. 
and stop it. Make this world a little bit more beautiful instead of ugly. Are there any questions, any statements, any challenges to this teaching today? The first question is, when I feel hurt, it feels like my mind will find anything to start blaming. Why is this tendency so strong in humans? It's not strong in all humans. It's strong in humans who have been programmed to behave like that. And so hiding behind the idea that it's strong in humans is not a good idea. Any form of defense that we offer to support our anger guarantees the continuation of anger. You have been programmed to be angry, probably by your parents, your schooling, your peers, and somewhere along the line, it's been made okay. And I'm saying that if you're into higher consciousness, it's not okay because it takes you into lower consciousness and it destroys relationships. It brings darkness onto the planet, not light. And you're responsible for that. You're responsible for the world you create. Can anger ever be used constructively to feel something? I've never seen anger used constructively because it's a form of violence. I've never seen violence used constructively. And I grew up in a very violent atmosphere. When I went to school, violence was used on students to get them to cooperate. I did not see a positive outcome to that. And anger is just another form of violence. I do not see a positive outcome from using violence on anyone. When someone yells at me and is angry, how can I be aware enough not to be drawn into the same energy field that that person has manifested? Okay, when, when someone, when you get angry, you direct an energy field. That energy field can penetrate another human being turn around inside of them, affect their mind in such a way that it wants to come back at you. And so there's a delivery back. Unless, of course, you're conscious and you feel the energy coming in and you feel it turning around in you and you feel it wanting to come out, but you're conscious enough not to let it out. You're conscious enough not to bite back, not to let that energy field affect the way you think. So people who get angry with other people are inciting anger in that other person, particularly if they're unconscious. Now, whether that anger comes back uh, aggressively or passively depends on what position they're in, but it will come back. Normally we will come back. It's a bit like what we put in, we get back. And it's up to you to create your, your life. It's up to you to make it work for you and make it work for others. 
I've never ever seen a positive outcome to getting angry with people. If they don't get you aggressively, they'll get you passively because you've injected them with a painful energy that just wants to come back out again. If someone comes at you with anger, just let it penetrate. Don't react to it. Just watch it inside yourself. Don't react to it. It will dissipate. Given time. I've heard you mention the game of zero. Are you able to talk about this in relation to anger? <laughs> well, anger is definitely not zero. <laughs> anger, if we want to go to the furthest point away from zero, we can go to anger. That's where we've really lost it because we're caught in a dream and we're unconscious as and we've lost our balance. I remember uh, in training in martial arts and watching Bruce Lee and other martial artists. I remember Cassius Clay, uh, Muhammad Ali, he became, he used to always try to incite his opponent to become angry. He used to taunt them and tease them because he knew, like I know, that once you get someone angry, they have lost their clarity, they have lost their balance because they're locked in a nasty dream. It is not an advantage to be an angry person. It is a huge disadvantage in so many ways. If you can stop being angry, your whole life will change. The connections you have with other people will be different because people who get angry frighten others. And so people walk around you very wearily because they don't want to cop your wrath. And so do you think people are really meeting you in a natural way if you're an angry person? Or are they actually walking around on eggshells because they're frightened of you? Is that how you want your relationships to go? Because that's how it is a lot of the time for angry people. Was martial arts one of the practices that helped you learn to be with anger consciously? Mm, not so much. I mean, I actually saw what anger did. I saw the damage. I saw how it created physical violence in people, not just emotional violence. And I wasn't interested in being violent. I got uh, to a stage in my life where there'd been too much violence and I didn't want any more. And so I saw the cause of a lot of that violence in myself was anger. And so I consciously stopped blame and consciously started taking responsibility that I make myself feel and that the world can't make me feel, only I can. And if I'm responsible for how I feel, how can I blame someone else for it? Really? But on another level, yes, because in martial arts, I understood that cool, calm and deadly works and that any form of emotional state is a handicap because it's likely to take you into a dream. The moment you're dreaming in any way, shape or form in martial arts, if you're up against people who are high quality, you're going to get beaten. 
not by them. You've already defeated yourself. When I feel anger, I feel cut off from my heart. What's the best way to contact my heart when anger appears? Don't get angry. <laughs> of course you're cut off from your heart because when you are angry, you're closed. You've got a massive defense system in play. Anger is a defense system. It stops you from feeling. So of course you're not going to feel love. You might pretend you can feel love, but you can't feel love through anger. You're locked in a nasty dream. The best way is to not get angry. The best way is to not support blame. That's the best way. But if you are angry, the best way is to stop blaming. Remove the fuel, remove the ammunition. And that's up to you too. People who get righteous and arrogant quite often those two uh, combinations support anger quite a bit. In accepting that life is the way it is, anger doesn't have much power. It's only when we're righteous and arrogant and think that someone else is wrong or something else is wrong that we get angry. We get hurt. Look, getting hurt. Yeah, human beings get hurt. We get touched by things. So what? We don't have to get angry about it. Anger is actually, and the, the support of anger is actually a form of immaturity. Do I need to challenge my beliefs to be able to remove blame? <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> it, it begins with watching the process of anger watching the mind witnessing the mind and seeing how it works something happens someone does something says something or a situation occurs and you feel a touch a painful touch now almost instantly this is so fast almost instantly there's a reaction of a defense system that goes to blame then anger arises as a result of the blame this is the process now when you can witness that from a detached space you can stop the reaction the touch will still happen but the reaction doesn't need to happen it can be stopped it doesn't mean there might not be a response to what has been done or what has been said but it's not a reaction of blame it's not a reaction of anger anymore. It's different. And instead of destroying and burning bridges, you can continue to build them, even though something may have been done that is unsavory to you. Undo belief systems. Do we have to individually identify every belief? that makes us contract. Ah, so that's a continuation of the previous question that I answered differently than how you wanted me to. <laughs> There's a suggestion in that, that you think that belief systems uh, cause anger. It's victim-orientated thinking that causes anger. 
there can be belief systems attached to that. I can have a belief system that people shouldn't betray me or lie to me. But when they do, I still don't have to get angry. To be angry, I would have to turn myself into a victim of them. And so this is before belief systems, this understanding of how to deal with anger, way before belief systems. I might have a belief system that people shouldn't ring, scratch my car with their, with their change, vandalism. Whether I get angry over it or not is a choice. I don't have to. I don't have to be a victim. I don't have to go to blame. I can just see it. This is what is. And stay cool and fix it. And if I catch someone doing it, hold them responsible, make them pay for it if I can. But from a space that is open rather than a space that is closed with anger. All that's required is a little bit of consciousness. How long did it take for you to remove the victim orientated thinking from your mind? Probably about three years. Um, I remember starting when I was about 19 and because uh, I was very victim orientated. I, I grew up in a family that was victim orientated and um, it was just inherited. So at the age of 19, I, I uh, read this wonderful book by Alan uh, Carr. handbook to higher consciousness and in that he spoke at length about how victim orientation works how we create our reality that nobody can turn us into a victim only us that we are totally responsible for it And then basically I started practicing stopping victimness. I would notice it. I'd catch myself being a victim. I'd catch myself being angry and I'd uh, let it go. I'd let it go. I just wouldn't entertain it. And after about two years, I noticed that a lot of it had gone, but that was two years of practice. I wasn't prepared to be angry anymore. I wasn't prepared to be a victim anymore. And so I stopped it. And I failed and I failed and I failed and I failed, but I kept catching myself and correcting it. And probably about three years after three years, not much anger came anymore because I wasn't a victim anymore. And as a, as a result of not being a victim anymore, my whole life in a way changed. Imagine what it's like to live a life without blaming, without being a victim, without getting angry. What would that be worth if you had to pay for it? Because when we get angry, we're suffering, we're hurting ourselves and we're likely to be hurting others. What's it worth to be able to not get angry all the time, every time something doesn't go your way or some injustice occurs to you? What's it worth? I reckon it's worth everything. But it did take a few years. It didn't happen because someone talked about it and I thought it was a good idea. It happened because I practiced and practiced and practiced taking it down every time it arose and eventually catching it at the reactive stage 
so the reaction didn't occur. Instead of it, the touch was felt and there was a response maybe, or no response, but there wasn't the reaction of blame and anger. So after you removed that blaming program, did a lot more of your wounding come up? <laughs> yeah, anger was one of the ways I avoided feeling my wounding. That's true. It's the defense system that stops us from feeling. It's so true. I started working on myself uh, consciously when I was 19 and pretty, pretty much didn't stop until I was 45. Uh, when awakening occurred and then everything stopped. When I say working on myself, just modifying this, modifying that, because like a lot of other people, I wasn't programmed for happiness. I wasn't programmed for a lot of things. Uh, initially, I wasn't, I had a lot of failure patterns in me, a lot of failure programs. And uh, first up, I started removing all of those because I didn't want to be a failure in life. Um, victim orientation was one of the first failure patterns I removed because I saw it as a failure pattern. Uh, worry was another failure pattern that I removed because I could not see any advantage in worrying. But also a lot of limiting belief systems were removed. The belief that we can't do something or the understanding that we can't do it, that's just pretty much guarantees we won't. So I, I did a lot of work over a lot of years just modifying the mind so it could be more efficient and more effective and more open more successful in the world. Preparing the mind in a way for higher consciousness, super consciousness, by removing all the different things that created contraction in me, created resistance. If you don't, if, you're, if your mind <laughs> is creating pain for you, if it's creating resistance in you, which is suffering, contracting to the world change it don't leave it like that change it you don't want to spend the rest of your life contracting every time something goes wrong resisting life change it you have the power it's up to you if you practice something long enough it becomes a default pattern victim orientation for me at the age of 19 was a default pattern. I just went into it automatically and unconsciously because I'd been living it for so long. It took two to three years to change that default pattern to not run. But wow, that was really worthwhile. At 19, you started working on yourself. Were you influenced by anyone to do so, or you just noticed you were creating your own suffering? No, I was definitely influenced. I had intervention. It wasn't my idea. My girlfriend at the time, who I ended up marrying a few years later, um, got involved with a organization called Focal and Focal ran encounter groups. They ran four day, uh, encounter groups, live in encounter groups called the Greatness in You seminars. And 
these guys that I that my girlfriend had got involved with were a breakaway group called Cord. And they were running these groups up in the hills above Perth City in West Australia somewhere. And my girlfriend had given them $400 or $700. It was a lot of money. Like the basic wage was about $80 a week back in 1973. And I was a bit of a roughneck. I, <laughs> I I'd had a rough life. And I, w- I went along to, to see these guys because I disagreed with uh, her doing this group and these people getting into her head and then ripping her off for 400 bucks. So I went along and I was going to get that money back off them uh, one way or another. And so I fronted them and it was interesting because they said, why don't you do the group? Why don't you do the group with your girlfriend? And I said, I'm not going to give you any money. You're not getting anything from me. I'm here to get the money back off you and I'm going to get it back off you. And they said, look, why don't you do the group for free? And uh, if you feel that you get anything out of it, uh, you can give us some money at the end. And I said, no, no, I want the money back and I want it back now. Otherwise, there's going to be trouble here. And then they said, is it, is it that you're frightened to do the group because you're frightened of being t- shown what might be inside you? Is that what's happening here? And I said, no, I'm not frightened of anything. You don't frighten me. I said, and they said, well, it looks like you are frightened because you won't do this group. What's going on with you? And it hit something inside of me because I used to think I was a hero. <laughs> and they got me on that point. They got me. No, I'll do the group. I'm not frightened of anything. <laughs> and that's how I got involved with uh, higher consciousness. That's how I got involved. That intervention, I joined that group. And those guys that you do a psychological profile before the group starts and then they use full on encounter on you. And I was first up and they had me standing with four of them working on me for 12 hours. But by the end of the four days, something inside of me had really changed. Something had opened up, something had been seen. And I was so impressed with what these guys had shown me and that I could change my life for the better that I actually quit my job that I was doing and went and worked for them promoting their uh, courses. That was my intervention, (laughs) which I never looked for. It happened by accident. And I am super grateful to those guys for introducing me to another life, a different way of living, a life of higher consciousness. Hello, sir. Hello, Sachin. <coughs> yes. My, sir, can, my uh, assistant uh, uh, introduced you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <coughs> sir, can we transform anger into love? Look, I don't think that's a possibility whatsoever. Love is real. Anger is manufactured by the mind. And anything that's manufactured by the mind ultimately is not real. But love is real. Love is always here. 
If you're open, you'll perceive it. If you're not open, you won't. There is no opposite to love because love is real. Anger is just a fabrication of the, and contraction of the mind, an energy form that's created out of contraction, out of force. I do not believe we can convert anger to love. But here's the thing. If I've got you angry, at least I have your attention. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Israel. <laughs> Thank you. A viewer has asked, is there a time when anger is warranted, such as to motivate against tyranny or cruelty? Heck no. I'm an advocate for uh, non-cruelty to animals. I'm a vegan myself. But at no point do I express anger or get angry over that. I never have. Why would I? I don't need to. I can put my hand up. I can make videos against the uh, killing of animals if I want. I don't have to be angry about it to make it happen. If I, if I uh, want, I can protest. I, I've been a protester in my lifetime. I've pro walked in different marches, supporting different causes, but at no point have I ever been angry about it. You don't have to be angry to make a difference in this world. You don't have to bring more violence into the world to make a difference. You can make a difference without that. I believe anger helps nobody. I find anger really makes me throw my spiritual practice out the window. It makes me feel pessimistic and I think to hell with it. How can I not be affected by the negative thoughts that come up when the energy of anger arises? I love the question, don't get angry. <laughs> it's almost like you're making yourself helpless. Oh, I'm so helpless because anger is controlling my life. I don't buy that for a second. You're the one who makes you angry. You're responsible 100%. Blaming anger for your behavior, rubbish. That's you once again, not taking responsibility for you. Would like to ask you a question. Who would? Sorry, I missed that. Hi, Alan. You're getting surprised visitors today. You have to recognize the voice. <laughs> yeah, the person assisting is not introducing the people coming on. I didn't know it was going to be you, Alan. No, I, think, I think it might be our connection because I didn't hear my name either. I didn't hear it either. And I didn't hear Satch's name. And It's just jack-in-the-box, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Hang on a second. I could get angry about that. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm furious. Livid. <laughs> um, my, my question is, um, when you're talking about you undone beliefs, and two of the first beliefs was uh, victim-oriented thinking and worry. Um, is it a case that you're, you, you're becoming aware of these patterns inside yourself? and you stopped reacting, reacting to them over time? 
or was there something that you actively done in combination with the, the non-reaction? Yeah, I deliberately and consciously stopped anger. I deliberately and consciously stopped being a victim. It wasn't uh, because I thought it was a good idea. It was because I actively and consciously stopped it. Because I could see how ridiculous it was, how detrimental it was. And I didn't want to be involved in it anymore, even though I came from a family where there was a fair bit of anger and I grew up in an environment where there's a fair bit of anger and for some reason people are allowed to be angry in our society. But really, I didn't have to be. And I, I proved that to myself. I could still be in the world and make a difference without using anger. As a matter of fact, I made a way better difference. So, you know, because anger is so common, people think, oh, everyone gets angry. It's normal. But heck, man, you want higher consciousness, leave anger out of the picture because it's lower consciousness. Mm. You can't take yourself to higher consciousness through anger. You can only take yourself to lower consciousness because it's a dream of blame. Mm -hmm. But I changed yeah. a lot of patterns, uh, Alan, a lot of patterns. One of the things I did is I removed excuses. Like lots of people have excuses for their behavior or their failures. Any excuse that we offer for failure guarantees failure again. And so I removed that program too, the excuse for failure. That's a big one. It mightn't sound big, but it is. Because anytime you offer an excuse for failure, you're pretty much guaranteeing you're gonna do it again. And so I started looking at the mind and watching the mind and seeing that these different things that I inherited from my family and my schooling weren't going to be successful for me in the material world. And so I started removing them by becoming aware of them and stopping them, consciously stopping them. Mm -hmm. no, no excuse for failure is nearly like a demarcation point from a child to an adult. Well, you think about all the people you know who have constantly got excuses for their failures. It doesn't stop. Mm. Mm. You think about all the successful people, the really successful people you know, they don't have excuses for failures. They just keep going until it works. Correct. Yep. Um, yeah, yesterday's satsang had a really big effect on me, actually quite a, a, a noticeable shift and I was walking through the city here yesterday in Singapore and there was some construction going on and skyscrapers and I seemed to get this awareness that I'd like to uh, run by it and just get your thoughts on it and um, because it was busy and there was lots of people and uh, lots of massive tall skyscrapers it, I, it seemed to me that the world and civilization is like an extension of the mind and all that we see happening around us with society is like an extension of the mind and I was just wondering if that was your observation of it. I would agree with that. One of the things I used to love to do Alan is watch really big ants nests you know with the really big ants because I live up in the hills and uh, in, in Perth City, there's a lot of these big ants. And you can watch them build their nests and you can watch them run around and do their things. 
And what I got to see is they build all these structures, you know, they're programmed to the same as human beings are programmed to. And so I don't see human beings and ants as a great deal of difference, except an intelligence quota, because they're still just building things and building things. And yes, it has to be an extension, of course, from the mind. Mm. But wouldn't it be lovely if we did things as an extension from our hearts rather than our minds? What a beautiful place this would be. Yeah, that's a that's a an amazing uh, an amazing not an idea. It's, it's more than an idea, but yeah. Well, it's higher consciousness because in higher consciousness you support heart, you don't support the mind. The heart is the beauty way. The mind is a desert; it's arid, but the heart is an oasis of beauty. Yeah, I spent spent a, a lot of time in the mind the last two weeks. Um, I'm beginning to realize that there's nothing in, not nothing, but there's very little in the world that directs you back to your heart. I know what directs you back to your heart, your children. Hmm. <laughs> your, your little girl. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And that's a gift in your life because it allows you to experience love. Now, can you extend that to everybody? Because that's the way of art. The answer to that question is probably no. And then you'd have to look at the reason why. And the reason's very simple. You have too many defense systems in the way to stop you from perceiving love. So it can't really be directed when it's not being perceived. The less defended we are, the more we perceive love. When you're with your daughter and you're wide open, you perceive love and you say, I love you. But really it's just your openness that is actually facilitating that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite quite true. Quite true. It opens up something inside me when I'm just even looking at her. Um it's 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 amazing. And I do feel um it's it's like um, that that inside myself that I experience when I'm I'm with her does seem to be growing and encompassing yeah. a lot more. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing, and and I found it with my own children, and I, I decided that I wanted to extend it, and to extend it, I had to open up to the good, the bad, and the ugly of the human race. I had to drop my defense systems, and be, and walk through life vulnerable. And then I could perceive love. And when we perceive love, we take care of everybody and everything. That's how love affects our minds. Yeah. Well, the, the path is there for me to walk. And it's just a case of me becoming aware of the excuses why I shouldn't walk because there's this, that, and the other to do. So. <laughs> well, that's so true, isn't it? So true. It's you. You're the, you're the one that's in control here as to whether you allow love by removing your defenses or you stay defended and keep everyone at arm's length. You create your reality through your openness or your closure, through your defensiveness or through your vulnerability. Up to you. It is indeed. It is indeed. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Always very appreciative. Always good to talk to you, Alan. You too. Take care. Were your children the way that you found heart?
Now, initially, I found heart in the presence of Osho Rajneesh uh, when um, he, he, we had a chat. And after the chat, uh, I found that I was uh, in touch with love. I think in his presence, something opened inside of me, like something got germinated, a little awakening. But it was only a glimpse. It didn't last long. But it got me to realize that there was something very beautiful in this world besides being successful in the world. And it was love. And then the, 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 the next time I felt love, because really I was just a desert. I was like a, a, a war machine as a businessman. The next time I felt love, I was in the water 60 miles off the coast. My boat had sunk and I was in the water uh, with my partner and the we were being circled by sharks for 18 hours. And I, I knew we were gonna die, I just knew it. And I looked at my partner and in that moment of looking at her and being and feeling responsible for her death, because I'd, I'd taken the boat out, I should have checked the weather, it was bad. Uh, this love arose for her and it was just amazing because it was not non-directional, it's just pure love, pure unconditional love. And it was in that openness and there was that glimpse then and that that faded and then when my daughter got born and i held her in my arms for the first time uh, manisha uh, there was just this unconditional love was present and it was at that point that i realized heck this is really worth something this is worth pursuing this is worth finding this is worth uh living for and so that is when my real solid search for the way of the heart and my own heart began after that. And it was hard <laughs> because I was built like a Sherman tank and uh, I had to take all the armor down. I had to become undefended so I could perceive love. Does the presence of an awake person temporarily dissolve our defense systems? It can do. It depends on how resistant you are to that awake person. I mean, people can use their will to resist the presence. There's no doubt about that. The same as people can use their will to resist drugs. In the presence of someone who's awake, if you're willing to just let go, your mind will start dissolving. It'll start expanding. You'll start finding yourself as expanded reality if you stay long enough. But if you offer resistance, that's not going to happen. The mind can actually stop it. It's up to you. There's a beauty in being in satsang. And that beauty is you can get undone by just being there. You said successful people keep going until they make it work. Is discipline one of the first programs we should build on the spiritual path? Yes, but it's not one that we build. We've already built it. If we went to school, we're already disciplined. We, we got taught to sit in class and, uh, and study and listen and, uh, write papers or whatever we already every every human being who's an adult has been disciplined 
on the spiritual path, discipline is required because the mind is a bit of a monkey. It goes all over the place. But discipline is really simply uh, the willingness not to give yourself a choice. And so you decide to meditate every day at a certain time or at least once a day, and you give yourself no choice. You do that. Because if you give yourself a choice, there'll always be inconveniences. There'll be, always be some excuse for not doing it. But discipline dictates that you give yourself no choice. And in giving yourself no choice, you do what you need to do. And so, yeah, discipline is required. When that failure happens, for instance, when we try to be disciplined, how do we deal with the helplessness and disappointment we can feel? Try again. Our master is simply someone who has failed more than anyone else. They've got up and they've tried again. If you fail, don't be disappointed. Just try again. It doesn't matter at all how many times you fall down. It matters how many times you get up. What's the best way to be with someone who is in our presence and is angry? It depends on who you are. I just absorb it all. No movement away, no movement towards, just absorbing it all. I'm sorry, but I can't hear you if you're talking to me. Can you hear me now? I can now. I couldn't hear you before. When a person triggers me on multiple occasions, I can start to feel repulsed by them. How do I open myself to people who I feel repulsed to? Ah, one of the ways that I learned surrender and uh, was the practice of being with that that is unpleasant. You see, that that is unpleasant, we try to protect ourselves from, we close ourselves off to. In allowing ourselves to be open to that that is unpleasant, we are learning acceptance, we are learning let go. And this is how we end up being able to surrender unconditionally. And so, in some ways, this is called Tantra, being with that that is unpleasant, or being there without a you, removing the you from the picture so there isn't the reaction. So you are totally there, one with whatever is, pleasant or unpleasant. Up to you. If all you do is keep reacting to things and pushing things away, well, you'll just stay in lower consciousness. Openness counts for everything, always. How is the rage body different to anger? It's the same. It's just it might not necessarily have uh, 
any uh, any reason for being there at, at some point. People who repress a lot of anger tend to have uh, rage bodies. And these rage bodies, uh, when triggered, uh, come out ferociously. And so instead of being a small reaction of anger, there's a huge reaction of anger because there's this body of rage behind it. And but it's the same. It has to. It has to support itself with blame. If the rage body's out, for it to keep going, it has to. It has to support itself with blame. And the terrible thing about blaming is it just creates more pain. And if you happen to repress it, well, you create a larger rage body. And so people can carry around uh, tremendously big pain bodies of rage. And so someone does something very little. And this rage comes out and it's over the top. Well, it's because the rage body's been triggered, it's been touched. It's best not to support anger, full stop. It's not something that is, is positive. It's something that is negative. Find a way to not support anger. Find a way to not support blame. Find a way to not be a victim and be free of it. Only you can do that. No one can do it for you. When you were healing your wounding, did you experience much rage body? Heck yeah. I had a huge rage body because I'd repressed so much anger while being institutionalized uh, in a Roman Catholic boarding school. And uh, I had to deal with that. I had to let it out. And there was lots of ways I let it out. But one of the things I knew about the rage body is you can't support blame and think that somehow you're going to heal it. I remember I used to, well, I was a diver. I used to dive a lot, free diving and, and, and scuba diving. And uh, I found sometimes yelling underwater was wonderful. Not particularly at anything, just roaring and letting out this energy and the other way I let it out was dancing. I used to love to dance to heavy metal rock and roll, heavy metal music. And I just let rip, you know, and I'd let it out. I just let it all out, but without blame. I used to dance it out until there was nothing left or I'd roar it out underwater while I was diving. And after a while it all left, but it took a while. I had it hidden in all sorts of places. It took a while, but eventually it was gone. And because it wasn't being topped up with more blame and more repression, it, it, dis, it, it just dissipated completely. Every time I unconsciously support anger in myself, does that energy that's generated get stored in my body? Not if you let it out at the time, it's only if you repress it that it gets stored. It comes out as violence when you let it out. When you repress it, you're storing violence. The best thing that any human being can do for themselves is to go for higher consciousness and to wake up so they can be free of the mind. And we don't do that by supporting anger. We develop a mind that is equanimous, a mind that doesn't react, that stays cool 
even when under fire. And only we can do that. Nobody can help us with that. We have to do it. Then there's this beautiful thing called beingness that we are. And when that that's aware, becomes aware of that, we are free. But for a mind to be able to support that, the mind cannot really be an angry mind because an angry mind will keep bringing awareness back to itself, away from beingness. And that doesn't work. We need to learn to be free of anger. Stop blaming. Own your stuff. Stop being a victim. Be free of that at least. And then go for higher consciousness. If you're stopping anger and you're seeing through the mind enough, you're already going for higher consciousness. It's brilliant. Lower consciousness is where everybody suffers. Go for higher consciousness where you don't get caught in reactivity, where you respond to life. This is a beautiful thing for you to do for you and a beautiful thing for you to do for everybody you know. Higher consciousness rocks. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today. <laughs>